We're talking about love today. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a familiar chapter called the love chapter, often read at weddings, so you follow along with me. And now I show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, those will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Join me in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, you are the epitome of love. And Lord, you teach us to love as you loved us. And so we ask that you would open our hearts and minds today as we think on love. We think during this season especially about the love of Jesus Christ and how he came, how he came for us. And we thank you for that great love, Lord. So open our hearts and minds, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Thinking about love, when you first fell in love, wasn't it a joyful misery being in love? You're just elated that you found somebody that you want to be with all the time, you want to talk to all the time, but you can't stand it when you're not together and you, you play that game on the phone, you hang up. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up and on and on it goes, those joyful times. Whenever you go out on a date, you obsess over what you wear. You change multiple times. And I guess we may lay that at ladies' feet, but I'll confess, I changed my shirt a bunch of times trying to pick the favorite thing that I needed to wear to impress her and to feel good with her because she was important to me. I wanted her to feel important because I cared enough. We have those times. And we bore other people with our love. When we can't stop talking about the person we just think is just the greatest thing on earth and we talk about the little things they do and the people really inside are either going like this or like that. But they smile and they, they, they endure us as we share about our new love. 
as we stay in that, uh, we tend to move from puppy love. We tend to have a, a more a mature, we may not have the same morbid fascination with the insignificant, but our care deepens. We get to know their wishes, their desires, and we try to fulfill them. We can order for them at the restaurant because we know them so well. They buy the food or clothes that we prefer. When we care for another person, we try to provide what they need, want, and desire. And we'll actually set aside the things that we love in order to make them happy, in order for them to have pleasure. Jesus addressed this, it's recorded in John 15, 13, where he said, Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for one's friends. We think about that verse, and perhaps what comes to mind is laying down one's life is dying for someone, and that certainly applies. But I think it also means the life that we live, the things we enjoy about life, that we're willing to lay that down, our preferences for another person, the things we prefer. I've often uh, thought about, uh, as Sue and I got, were married and got into our marriage, the, the differences we had and the things we uh, appropriated from each other. Sue grew up mainly with dogs. I grew up with cats. We're cat people. I ate only white bread when we met. She ate only wheat bread. We only eat wheat bread now. <laughs> so there's things that we've taken on from each other as we become one, as the Bible talks about. And so that, that is part of that joy of, of coming together and getting to know each other and those kind of things. And Jesus talks about laying down one's life. And I think it does count just laying aside those preferences we have, different music, different ways of doing things, uh, just being willing to give up what I like for the other's sake. We celebrate, we enjoy in Jesus' love for what he has done for us, how he left heaven. At, that is something we can't really wrap our mind around, what it must have been like for Jesus up in heaven with the Father, totally separated from sin, and he left that, and he came to earth, and he took on the form of a baby. He'd, he didn't come as a godly king at that time to wipe everybody out. He came as a little baby, and he was a normal little baby. He would have suffered the little things that babies do and, and having to be fed and growing up. I'm sure that as he toddled around, he fell over because that's what babies do. And he, he endured all that. And as he continued to grow, he endured the things we endure as humans. And that's what makes him, that's part of what makes him so special He's our high priest. He's the only high priest now. And he's a high priest who endured everything we endured. He was tempted. He was tempted greater than we have, I think. I, I've yet to have Satan take me up to the top of a temple and say, throw yourself off, let the angels catch you. I've yet to have Satan do those kind of things to me, although we all are tempted 
but not to that extent. But Jesus went through those temptations, and he had to resist the devil, as we are told, to resist him. So he grew up as we grew up, but as he continued on, and he took on that punishment that man did on him, the rejection, the, the accusations, the torture, and the subsequent being put to death. And we think about that love at this time and how it started as that little baby in a manger with two normal parents, wondering how they were going to do this, wondering how they were going to care for him. But they did as parents do. You rise to the occasion. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 7, and 8, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say get straightened out and I'll die for you. He didn't say get all your problems resolved and then I'll die, get on the cross. While we were still rejecting Him, living our life of sin, He gave His life so that we then could have eternal life. And Paul's very true. Sometimes people will die for a righteous person. People do give the, other, the ultimate sacrifice for others sometimes. A spouse will give their life for a loved one. A parent will sacrifice their life for the sake of their child. We hear stories of great valor and sacrifice as men and women on the battlefield give their life so their comrade in arms might live. And of course, thousands of those in our military have paid the supreme sacrifice so that we can sit here in freedom and comfort and not face the challenges like we saw in the videos of worrying about somebody bursting in our home to haul us off to a prison or to a suicide or a, a shooting squad. Loving and caring for another is a powerful motivator, but loving and caring for another can bring pain and heartache. Getting to the title of the sermon today, in the story, The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and the Scarecrow came across the Tin Man, rusted, couldn't do anything. They hear him kind of groan. They, they oil him. He becomes free. And then he starts to tell his story. Life was drab. It was meaningless. It was empty because he didn't know the joy of love. And he wanted a heart so he could feel that, so he could know caring for another person. So out of their kindness to him and getting him free, getting him loosened up, they invited him to go see the wizard with them, to ask the wizard to, to help him with his feelings and to give him a heart. They got to the wizard after all their trials, after the flying monkeys and the melting witch and all those kind of things. They get to the wizard and they make their request known to him. And the wizard actually says, Tin Man, you're probably lucky that you don't have a heart because a heart can be broken. The Tin Man says, but I still want one. 
I still want to know what love is. I still want to know what it means to have that sense of caring for a person. And so he says, Tin Man, you have a heart. And he had proved that over the time as he had protected Dorothy and as he had cared for them. He showed he did have those feelings towards her and towards others. He said, what you don't have is a testimonial. And so the, he then pulls out of his bag of tricks a watch on a long thing with a clock in it. I mean, a, a heart with a clock in it. And he says, people with a testimonial will look at it and remind themselves of how they love. So he gave him that testimonial. And then he said something very poignant. He said, remember that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much others love you. That's the real testament, is when others recognize the value in you and love you, says how much heart you have. Later, it's time for Dorothy to return to Kansas. They're standing around saying goodbye to her. And the tin man states at her leaving, now I know I have a heart because it's breaking. Sometimes in the case of Dorothy, we know that they change, that those heartaches, those reasons change in our relationship. And it's good for the other person. It was good for Dorothy to go back home. The tin man wanted her to get reunited with his family, her family. He wanted her to be able to enjoy that. But even though he knew that was good for her and he wanted that for her, he, of course, was still sad that his friend was leaving. We've talked already today about some who have lost loved ones. And even in that situation, and some of you have been there, experienced that, you've seen them racked with pain. You've seen their quality of life go down. You know that it's better for them in knowing the Lord to go on. And you want that for them, but your heart's breaking because of your loss. As I've done funerals, one of the verses that I've referred to is one in Proverbs that says, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the passing of His saints. And I thought, that seems so unfair, God. How is it blessed for you that the saint, one that I'm losing, it brings you joy? And then it's as if God spoke to me in that quiet way that He does. I loaned them to you for a little while. You got to spend time with them for a little while, but I've missed them. And I look forward to my child coming home. So we know that loss that people experience. We know they're happy that they're free from pain and that they're going to enjoy heaven and being in the presence of God. But they know they'll never get to interact with them. That's what love is when we attach with someone, when we care. We have all those joys, those elating moments, those chances to come home and share with someone what happened in their day or to commiserate together or to vent and they patiently listen to us. But it also means that when that time of passing comes, it's hard. 
there's something else about love I expect we've all encountered, and that's unrequited love. Unrequited love is when we have romantic or even brotherly love for another, but they don't feel the same way. We may go to great effort to do and try to do good things for them, but our actions are rejected or sometimes even despised. We ache because we want the best for them. We want good for them. We want them to be happy. We try to fill the needs of their lives, but they reject our attempts. They trample those in disgust, and they live without any regard to our feelings. I know we all experience that to some level. Can you imagine how God feels? He's done so very much for us. He gives us good gifts. The Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We pause at this time to think about the baby Jesus coming. God provides for our needs and many of our wants. He gives us so much and he didn't even withhold the death of his son for our behalf. And yet, we act with impunity towards his love. We give him lip service telling of our love for him, but inwardly we despise his teachings and commands. We resent his leadership in our life, telling us we need to quit some behaviors that we so very much enjoy. We stingily withhold gifts to him that he tells us to give. So many who enjoy the bountiful goodness of Almighty God refuse to give back even a small portion of what he gives so that others can be helped through those gifts and to meet others' needs through the goodness God has given us. God has to be the largest recipient of unrequited love. And yet he continues loving. He continues standing open arms, ready to receive all who have rejected him so long and so vigorously. He continues to bless his child even though they selfishly hold on to those things he gives them and ignorantly hold that we are the generators of our good fortune. He continues to bid for a closer walk with those who arrogantly insist they don't want him or want his love. He stands as that proverbial father at the head of the road waiting for his prodigal sons and daughters to come home patiently, longingly, yearning, looking down the road. At this time of year, many of us, though not all, take special fault of the love expressed by God through Jesus Christ. We take extra time to bask in the joy and goodness of His love. I put this to you last week, but what do we give God? What can we give God? After all, He's the creator and sustainer of all creation. There is one thing God let go of once He created it. He let go of our will. He could force us to love and obey Him, but He's given us the choice of whether to do that. And that's why we can act arrogantly and with impudence. Everyone probably knows the song, The Little Drummer Boy. We do it in our cantata. And the meaning of the song is special. 
a little boy comes. He just has his little drum. And he wants to give the baby Jesus a gift, but he's poor. He doesn't have anything he can give to the king. He plays for them. He gives them his talent. Ultimately, the little boy realizes he can give him the most valuable commodity ever. He gives Jesus his heart. There's a quote I I heard once. I don't know who said it. I wrote it in my Bible. And it says, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we will realize that the only thing we have that is truly ours is ourself. Everything else comes to us. But who we are, God lets us hold on to. And so that is the greatest gift we can give Him. Ourselves. He gives us free control of our body, soul, and spirit. He lets us ruin it. He lets us destroy it. He lets us abuse it. And He still desires, He still wants that we give ourselves to Him. But He's let us determine that. He longingly waits. So the question comes today, have you given yourself to God and accepting His salvation through Jesus Christ? That's the start. Do you lay down every part of your life daily and take up His cross? What is it we hold on to that we think we've earned or deserved or that we've created, which actually came from the Father. Do we love Him as He loves us? Or does He receive unrequited love? This Christmas season, we're going to sing songs glorifying God and praising Him for His gift of the Christ child. And then we'll hold back, not giving Him our full, unfettered love for Him, And the basic reason is so we can enjoy doing what we want to do. The little little drummer boy figured out he could give Jesus his heart. Are we as smart as that little boy? Today, as we sing our hymn of response, it's a time, and I encourage you often, if you need that quiet moment with God, don't even sing. You don't have to stand up. Be in a private communion with God, listening to Him, asking Him, Lord, what am I holding out that you want me to let go? When I was in uh, college, I struggled with this thought. And I actually became overwhelmed because I knew the different things in my life that I wasn't yielding to Him. I wasn't a terrible person. Uh, that's not the point. There's there's different levels uh, of holding out on God. And and I felt defeated because I knew I couldn't give everything up. I just didn't have the strength within me. And I went into what I would call fibrillation. You know, fibrillation is when the heart loses that steady beat and it just sits and quivers. And in quivering, it can't provide the body with the blood it needs by that steady pumping. And so emotionally, I would be in fibrillation not knowing what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And I quit for a while. I just quit worrying about it. But then, 
God in that wonderful way didn't quit with me. At that moment that I could hear him a little bit, he said, Wes, I'll tell you what I want you to take care of. A step at a time, one thing at a time. And so at that moment, I learned to trust him to do, to correct, to address in my life what mattered most to him. It's an onward path. I ain't there yet, not going to be there yet until he takes me home. But I believe I'm spiraling in closer and closer to him as he brings these things up in my life, and he'll do that for you. He doesn't expect you to become perfect overnight in a moment. All he expects you to do is say, Lord, tell me, and I'll follow. And he'll give you what he knows you can bear, what he knows you can accomplish. And yes, when that's done, he'll go to the next one. But the whole purpose is not to beat you up, but to give you a likeness of Jesus Christ and to give you that peace we talked about last week and that joy we're going to talk about next week by having that walk with him, knowing and learning that you can trust him every step of the way. And so I encourage you during the response and other times, when you get home this afternoon or tonight, first thing in the morning, be sure to be quiet for a little while and say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens with a heart of commitment that I'm going to do. Ask him to renew your first love for him and to tell you what you're holding on to that he wants you to release. On this holiday season, just as God released our Savior to come to earth, knowing in 30-some-odd years he was going to be hung on a cross, to get us life. Give God your love, unfettered, unbounded, unrestrained.